0: How's everybody doing? How are you doing, Seahawks fans? We'll have an extra time of prayer at the end of the service. You don't need it, though, do you? <laughs> we are, uh, well, let me say this. If you're here for the first time or if we've never met, uh, my name is James, and I'm uh, one of the pastors here. We are uh, beginning January with kind of a cool deal where I'm preaching the entire Bible every week. And uh, so, I hope you brought a lunch. Uh, <sighs> I'm using that joke every week too. Um, but but we are uh, actually talking about the entirety of the Bible story uh, because understanding uh, where you're from and where you're going and what your kind of family history is, I think it matters. It matters for, with how you see the world and how the world sees you, how you see yourself in the world and, and those kinds of things. So Uh, We're going to uh, do the entire Bible this week, and we're going to tell you the story of the entire Bible in a different structure than last week. Uh, Last week, we did kind of the standard or the classic or the classic Reformation. It's it's standard for the last four or five hundred years. And now we're going to do one today that is put together by a guy named Tom Wright. He's from England, and in England, he's Tom Wright, but he's an author that likes to sell books. So here, his publishers called him N.T. Wright. So if you're... He's one of my favorite authors. And he put together a, a five-part act, like as if the Bible is a great play, all right? Like a, and there's five acts to that play, like a Shakespearean play or something like that. And so those five acts we're going to put on the screen for you. Uh, and they'll look similar in some ways because everyone who puts together the Bible, uh, like there's only, you can't have too much. Okay, they all begin with creation, all right? Can we put those, that list up? There we go, sweet. I want you to notice something, all spelt correctly. (laughs) If you were here last week, you know why that's significant. Uh, I went through and I made sure, like, we're limiting the number of syllables we're allowed to use now, and um, anyways, all these stories start with creation, Uh, and then there is the fall, which is significant, then there is Israel, then Jesus, then the church, so if there are five acts to this grand play that the Bible contains, the five acts are uh, creation, fall, Israel, Jesus, church. And I want to talk about why uh, that puts together. And if you're interested or this makes sense to you, I don't, like, I don't want you to think I'm plagiarizing. N.T. Wright is the guy who put this together, and some of his suggestions I'm going to give at the end on how to read the Bible uh, i'm giving you like i've i've rewritten them in my own words but they're like he is helpful for me in this all right so i don't want you to think that i'm every week inventing new things all right next week i'm going to uh, share one from an author named scott mcknight and then the week after that from another author because i don't sit down every week and think of new ways to tell the bible structure story i'm telling you these are the major ones and this is the major ways of understanding the the scripture so let's begin at the beginning like we do in every book in genesis one Verses 1, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. If you're not familiar with the Bible, it wasn't originally put together. Like originally, Genesis was just a book. And then afterwards, people put in chapters and verses just as a helpful reference to be able to find things. So if you're looking at it and you're like, oh, the Bible has 66 chapters or 66 books, and Isaiah has 66 chapters, ooh, that must mean something. No. It means later on they put something in to help you find your page. That's it, all right? So, uh, so we're not saying turn to page three. We're saying Genesis 1.1. Uh, so in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. This is how everything began at the beginning of everything. Uh, there was nothing, and then God made everything. And then Genesis 1 continues with this great story of uh, God speaking things into existence and creating uh, the entire universe using uh, just his voice. Not using things to make something, but just creating out of the creative energy that God's voice has. And so creation happens, and that's in Genesis 1, and then it's told again in kind of a different way in Genesis chapter 2. Then um, things go bad. It was like a theme in Genesis 1. It says over and over, uh, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good. Then Genesis 3 comes along, and all of a sudden we find some things that weren't good. When the woman, who was still good, saw the fruit of the tree was good, see that, for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And she gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Uh, a lot of people that are sexist like to say, see, That was the problem the woman took the apple but look where the man was standing next to her and he was too chicken to eat it first himself he's like well you eat it i want to see what happens and then i'm going to eat it so even if you are a sexist person that says the woman sinned first and i know this is funny but i've heard like pastors say this the reason this is because the woman ate the apple first and i'm like the man was being like a pansy sitting next to her like, I'm not eating that. I want to see if you die first, right? Like, if the woman died, the man would be like, well, I don't know what happened, right? Like, so, <laughs> if anything, the woman should be the leader. She, uh, the man if, has proven that he can't lead. All right. I, I don't have much appreciation for people that use this uh, for sexist purposes. So the, the husband and the wife are sitting there, Adam and Eve, eating the apple uh, that they should not, the a, a fruit, eating the fruit, Uh, that they should not have eaten. There was one tree that they were not supposed to eat from. God said, don't eat from that tree. And of course, they eat from that tree. So uh, the result of that in verse 23 and 24, the same chapter, so God banished them from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. So when the spring comes and you have to pick weeds from your yard, this is why. Uh, After he drove the man out, Uh, He placed on the east side of the garden cherubim, which is like a heavenly being, like an angel type of being, and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Now, they described it as a flaming sword. This is just a little bit. We're going to nerd out for half a second. Why would they describe it as a flaming sword? They didn't know what swords were. They didn't know what flames were. At the time, Adam and Eve had not invented a sword, right? There was a good chance it was a lightsaber. Uh, (laughs) because they didn't know what, what is that. I don't know what that is. And there's a cherubim there who, who like snuck a lightsaber in, because I guess they can time travel, and, uh, and he start flashing it around, right? Nobody flashes a sword around. So anyway, there's a little nerdness for you there, I'm trying to connect to you nerds. Um, <laughs> so notice, first of all, the first two, <laughs> the first two acts in this story and we're only in chapter three of the book and there are hundreds of chapters so much if this is a play or this is a movie you know normally at the beginning of a movie you see the main character walking around you see him with his family you see him going to work you begin to develop some care and appreciation of them that's not how god tells the story god tells the story like bang i made everything bang it was awesome bang it all fell apart like, just we jump into this story running. Uh, there isn't like a warm-up where we learn a lot about God beforehand, and we l- start to care about God so that we see why He created or those kind of things. God's just like, "Look, there was nothing. Watch this, everything. Now watch this. It's awesome. Now watch this. It's terrible. And so if this is a movie or if this is a play, you've been in your seat like 10 minutes, and and you're like, "Oh my gosh, I, so much has happened. This movie's going to be over in 25 minutes." But the next two acts and sorry the next three acts are much 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 longer and the next act, so we have creation, then we have fall. what we talked about last week was redemption, uh, but this uh, NT Wright puts it together if you're reading the Bible, after Genesis three all the way uh sorry after Genesis three there's like a slow decline where things are generally going bad uh, Tower of Babel Noah's Ark, those kinds of things and in Genesis twelve we hit. Israel. Uh, Genesis twelve is the call of uh, Abraham. There's two parts to this uh, development of Israel that I want to talk about. Israel today is a country, uh, but it's also a group of people. uh, That uh, most of the time we use the word Jewish, uh, the the Jewish people, to describe that. Um, The Lord had said to Abram, who uh, is also Abraham, they changed names later, "Go from your country and your people and your father's household to the land I will show you." I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all people on earth will be blessed through you. This is, if you read the Bible, a major, major turning point. And if you're just reading through it, it might just look like, oh, this is whatever, this is whatever, this is whatever. This is a promise that God is making to a man that you are going to be the leader of how things change moving forward. And so all of a sudden, Abraham is known as the man who has a relationship with God because God has created a covenant with Abraham that you will be great, your offspring will be great, and I will bless them, and I will bless everyone who blesses them. In fact, I will bless all people through them, except those who curse them, I will bring curses on them as well. And so there's a dynamic in the way that Abraham interacts with the world that affects the dynamic by which God interacts with the world. And so we have creation, fall, and then Israel. And then the development of the actual word Israel, though, is interesting because it brings about the dynamic of the relationship of the people of God with their God. And this is a very interesting story in Genesis chapter 32, uh, I'm going through a lot of scriptures, so if we'll just read off the screen. If you have the YouVersion app and you click on event, all these scriptures are listed as well. If there's something that you catch and you're like, oh, I want to have a note on that, um, that's YouVersion. If you don't have a Bible app, download YouVersion. So Genesis 32 is Jacob. Jacob is a descendant of Abraham. So we're still in his family, and what we're seeing is uh, God blessing the family of Abraham and it growing. So Jacob... He actually is meeting with his brother, and when he left his brother, things, uh, long story short, did not end well, all right? And so he's going back to meet him, and so he's sending gifts ahead, sending his family ahead, like, look at look at my beautiful children, please don't kill me, all right? Like, and I know, like, some of you, it didn't end well with some of your relationships, like, I mean, this didn't end well, all right? So it's like, hey, please don't kill me, not like, please don't be mean to me at Thanksgiving, um, So Jacob was left alone. His whole family is sent across the river and a man wrestled with him till daybreak, which is left alone, the weirdest verse in the world, isn't it? He was left alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. Who is this man? Where did he come from? Uh, There's a lot of opinions on that. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. And the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. And Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The story continues. The man asked him, what is your name? Uh, Jacob, he answered. And then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Okay, so do you see what he just told you? Jacob was actually wrestling with God. God was the man. God appeared in man form, apparently in wrestling man form. (laughs) Don't you just love that just for a minute? Like God maybe was wearing spandex? (laughs) Just saying. (laughs) Then the man said, "'Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, "'because you have struggled with God and with humans "'and have overcome.'" And Jacob said, please tell me your name. But the man replies, why do you ask my name? And then he blessed him there, and that's the end. And then the man goes away. This is, if you're into theology, a lot of people refer to this as a pre-incarnation of Christ. A lot of people believe, uh, a lot of biblical scholars believe that this was actually uh, God or Christ in human form on earth. Which means that, if you believe that, not everybody does. Some people think it was an angel. Some people think it was just random dude. <sighs> Which maybe takes more faith. <laughs> and a random guy was walking down and it's like, want to fight? <laughs> what it means that Jacob wrestled, physically wrestled with God to the point where God said, okay, I've had enough of this. Just let me go. I'm just going to go and I'll just let you go in your way as well wrestled with God, and then he names him Israel, which means struggles with God. And he is known, and the people of God are known as the people who wrestle with God. I think a lot of us have this dynamic in our relationship where we think we're just like, God's the boss, we're like the employees that have no say, we just do what God says, it sucks, just mind your own business. At the end, the pension is great. Right? <laughs> we get to go to this retirement community forever, and the streets are made out of gold, and it's really, really awesome. But God actually decides to have a relationship with a people where the people are invited to wrestle with him and wrestle with him to the point that, it, that God doesn't just overtake them. Because it shows God hits them on the hip, well, it just says touches on the hip. And his hip actually comes out of joint to where Jacob limps for the, for the rest of his life. Jacob actually walks different for the rest of his life. And it changes. The Israelites wouldn't eat the meat from the hip, from the socket of the hip. Because of the remembrance of this story. Remember, our forefather actually wrestled with God. And remember how that went. So Jacob is changed for the rest. Of his life. can we, It actually says that in the next slide. Uh, so Jacob called the place uh, Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my love, life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. So when Jacob meets his brother, he's actually having a hard time walking. And his brother's like, What's wrong with you? He's like, Ah, God. <laughs> right? There is this dynamic to God's establishment of his covenant with the people of Israel, where God actually seems to be wanting of a relationship where his people wrestle with him, where his people see him face to face and are not overcome by seeing God face to face. They don't, like you would imagine seeing the holiness of the holiness, you would actually die at that moment, but you're not overcome by it. And then you wrestle with God and then when Jacob makes demands of God, God doesn't even get upset with that. He doesn't necessarily answer him. When Jacob says, I won't let go till you bless me, God says, okay, there's a blessing, let's move along. And when he says, what's your name? He says, why are you asking that? And then just leaves. So it's not like God is setting himself up as like your, your cosmic waiter, where everything you ask for, God's gonna give you. But at the same time, God is saying, Anything you want to ask for, ask and let's see what happens. God actually, and this might be strange for some of you, is willing to invite your wrestling with Him as a dynamic of your relationship. A lot of times we talk about someone who's doubting their faith as losing their faith, whereas God sees that as oh, sweet, we're actually going to fight. I love fighting. Let's get into this and see what happens. And God is willing to wrestle with you. He's not willing to just do whatever you say. He's not willing to uh, succumb to your demands at all times. But he wants and invites your demands on him. And he wants that kind of a dynamic with your relationship. When Jacob leaves this situation, he's not entirely satisfied Right? He knows he wrestled with God, but he also has a very sore hip. When he leaves his encounter with God, he's not like, I had this great worship moment. He's much more like, does anyone have an ice pack? <laughs> because I can't walk right. Uh, and this would, like, when you're on a journey, like Jacob's not, what's he going to do, hop in an Uber? Like, he, he's walking places. And so Jacob is affected for the rest of his life. So God chooses a people that he will covenant with in order to bless all people in the world. And then he establishes his dynamic with that people with a metaphor of wrestling. These are my people. They are the people who fight me. Because the dynamic of the people who aren't God's people is not fighting God. It's more of an apathy or an ignorance. It's like God's over there, and instead of engaging with him, I'm going to ignore him. Whereas Israel... And then later on in the story, the way it's told, the new Israel is the church, so the Christians, the difference between a Christian and not a Christian is we fight against God versus ignoring God. It's not wrong to be a follower of God and struggle with the way that God is doing things. It's not wrong to be a follower of Jesus and really have a hard time with some of the things Jesus did and said. Now, it is wrong to think you're going to win that fight because God apparently plays dirty. (laughs) At the very end, he hits you on the hip. I was not expecting that. I thought we were staying above the belt. (laughs) And you'll limp the rest of your life because you thought you were going to win. (laughs) But God is not afraid of your worries, your doubts. He's not afraid of your disbelief. He's not afraid of your struggles. He's not afraid of your disagreements. He's not afraid of what you think of what he's allowing to have happen, or maybe what he's even doing in the world. God is willing to engage you on that level. It's kind of a weirdly strange encouragement that I get, is that even when I'm dissatisfied with God, even when I'm upset with things that God is doing, like God, you didn't live up to my expectations. You didn't do the things, like I prayed things that I thought you were leading me to pray, and you didn't answer those prayers in an affirmative way. God is willing to still love me and lead me and walk beside me and bless me to the point where he'll change my name and redefine who I am because I'm wrestling with God. It's like a strange thing. I know that as a pastor, I'm supposed to come in and say, this is what God says, now do it. And what I'm saying is, this is what God says, now argue with him. Right? But still do it. Still follow God, even if you don't agree with what God is saying. Like, there are things in the Bible that I would say, and you would say, no, if I was God, that wouldn't be in there. And logically, if you were God, none of us would be here. Right? Because we'd be like, oh, God, he has a short temper. Uh, he isn't a nice person. Uh, God is into things that I'm not into. God supports political candidates I don't support. God is, it's important that God is a, a very, very, very large step above us. It's important that God is divine and we are fallen. That we, and that we understand that while we wrestle with God, we're not going to win that fight. If you're uh, a father, you remember that moment when you were wrestling the last wrestling match you had? I talked to my dad about it after mine. And he said, yes, I remember my last wrestling match with you. And you almost won. And then I had to do something that was dirty so that you didn't win. And then we didn't wrestle anymore. (laughs) My son, if you're not, this is my son who's playing. He's not invisible. He's playing. uh, (laughs) My son plays guitar up here. And uh, he lifts weights, and it hurts. And we don't wrestle very much anymore. Uh, I think I can still take him, though, because I'll play dirty. Last time we did, I broke his glasses, and now I have to buy new ones. (laughs) But it was important for his self-esteem that I won. (laughs) Right, LJ? (laughs) I didn't warn you that I was going to say that. I apologize, but... But, it, but this is what it is to be the people of God, to be the people who's going to wrestle God, but at the end of the day, God is going to win. But he invites you to wrestle with him. Uh, that's kind of a side note, but I just feel like that's encouraging and encouragement I want to give you. That if you're going through things that are hard, that make you doubt, that you don't understand, that you're like, God, this isn't the way I thought it was going to be, God invites that conversation from you. He's willing and wanting to have that. Even if you are saying, like, I'm not sure I believe in God, God is still willing to have that conversation with you. It's basically impossible to fight God to the point where you win. It's impossible to fight God to the point where God isn't still God and can't still just overcome. And so the people of God, which is Israel, follow God for hundreds of years. From the time of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, who becomes Israel, all the way to Jesus. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, this story plays out of God establishing his relationship with all people, blessing all people through this tiny little group of people that is now the country of Israel. Then along comes Jesus. The next act, the next bit of the story is Jesus. And this is, if there's a turn in the story or the solution to the problem, Jesus is it. When Jesus arrives, if you're watching this as a play or a movie, when Jesus arrives, you're like, this is the thing we were waiting for that we didn't know we were waiting for. This is the the hope that I had that I didn't know that I needed. Jesus arrives on the scene as the fulfillment of the uh, entire Old Testament, the fulfillment of the relationship that God has established with his people. Now what's interesting about Jesus, in the time period, this act is just when Jesus is on earth in physical form, which from Jesus' birth, which happened around uh, 3, 4, or 5 A.D. from the way our calendars are, the best scholarship thinks we got it wrong a few years ago when we said zero. Jesus is born around 3 or 4 or 5 A.D., and then he dies when he's 33, so that'd be around 28, 29, 30 A.D., that short time period changes because Jesus's ministry, and this might be weird for you, Jesus's ministry is actually limited just to the people of Israel. There's a a key verse in there in Matthew chapter 10. There's a a whole theme, but I'm going to just put up this verse from Matthew chapter 10, where Jesus sent out, uh, sorry, these 12, which are the 12 disciples that Jesus had uh, 12 men that followed him that he was kind of making the uh, administrative leaders of his ministry. These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions Do not go among the Gentiles. That's everyone who's not Jewish. Or enter, or enter any towns of the Samaritans. Samaritans were kind of um, half Jewish, half not Jewish, right? Kind of like they'd uh, be the Canadians. We're kind of American, but kind of not. <laughs> We're American if we need your help, but we're not if you're in a war. Um, <laughs> it's kind of a nice place to be. Like we have, we're not that tough, but we have a tough big brother. Uh, <laughs> he says, or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. And there's other instances, this is just one, so I don't want you to think I'm proof texting, but this, this is a theme, that Jesus came for the people of Israel. Jesus came for the people who God had a covenant relationship with already. And Jesus says, as you go proclaim this message, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have uh, received, so freely give. And he sends out the 12 on this mission. While he's still on earth, there's kind of like a mini mission strip, but he says, don't go outside of the boundaries and don't go to that area that's kind of a gray area, whether they're with us or not but only go to the house of Israel. And the ministry of Jesus is actually limited to the, to the Jewish people. And there's other stories where people come to him and they're like, hey, will you minister to me? And Jesus is resistant to it. And sometimes he caves, but he's resistant to it. But he's like, no, that's not what I'm here for. And so there's this instance where God has this relationship with Adam and Eve, and then it moves to Abraham. But the idea is all people on earth will be blessed. That whether that happened or not, is debatable but then when jesus comes god pulls it all back in and says okay we're starting something very significant you could say something new where the old way is kind of coming to an end and it's leading into this new way and so jesus on earth becomes this massive shift in what god is doing in the story of the bible then at the end of jesus's life he's on the mountain and this is kind of interesting. You see how it says these 12? He's up on the mountain at the end of his life in Matthew 28. It said, then the 11. Because only 11 disciples made it to the end. Uh, if you don't know the story, Judas uh, doesn't make it. Uh, he falls away from Jesus. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Which is a key verse from what I just talked about. They were worshipping him. But even while they're worshiping him, some doubted. I would bet this morning while we worshiped, some people in here were wondering. When we sang, God, you are good always, you're like, "Ah, I don't know. I don't know if he is, because my experience tells me that might not be true. What does God do with those people? Did Jesus say, all right, there's 11 of you here, but four of you were doubting. Those four back up, because Jesus can read their minds. He knows what's happening. So you four on the end, right? It'd be Thomas. That guy was a doubter, right? It'd be Bartholomew, because no one even knew who he was, right? It'd be Peter, because that guy's a turkey, right? And then somebody else, because he didn't know what was going on, kind of oh, spacey, right? Philip. All of you guys, I don't know, those are the only four disciples I can think of. <laughs> but Jesus doesn't push them back. So there's a bunch that are worshiping that believe that Jesus is there because this is a post-death and resurrection experience of Jesus. And so there's a group of people, some believe, some don't, and Jesus says to all of them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded to you, and surely I am with you to the very end of the age. So Notice where Jesus tells them to go now to the very ends of the earth. So there's this expansion and then a contraction with Jesus. And at the end of Jesus's life, he says, hey, I'm done now. Now you guys go back out there everywhere. And so Jesus is this closure to what God was doing and this expansion of this new thing that God seems to be doing, which leads us into the final act. We have creation, fall, Israel, Jesus, and then the church. And the church begins in the book of Acts. In the New Testament, there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, which all tell the story of Jesus' life in different ways. And then the book of Acts comes, and it's what happens immediately after that. The book of Acts, in the very beginning, Acts chapter 1, Jesus says to them, Jesus is there again, because he resurrected, but he likes earth so much he just won't leave. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria. Remember what he said about the Samaritans before? Now he's specifically saying, go to the Samaritans and to the ends of the earth. Judea would be their region. How we say Willamette Valley, it'd be Judea, all right? And then Samaria would be kind of like Bend or something kind of Oregon, mostly California. But <laughs> so when, when we are, Jesus is saying you'll be my witnesses here like, you, uh, like you've been all along. Then you're going to go to the gray area where you weren't sure if they were with us or not. And you're going to go to the very ends of the earth. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will have power and you'll go do these things. Right after this, Jesus actually ascends into heaven. The people are looking and they're like, what do we do now? Well, let's go do what Jesus told us to do except that's not what happens. They actually are kind of scared of this, and they actually, the church all gathers in a room and does Bible study and prayer and worship time. It's kind of funny, because what does the church struggle with now? Like in a general sense, not just this church, church all over the world, it struggles with getting out and doing what Jesus says to do. But what we're awesome at is getting together and Bible study and worshiping. And the very early church Jesus said, go all over the world and tell people about me. You know what we should definitely do? Study the original Greek from what Jesus just said. Because I think there might be some nuance in in it. Can someone translate it? And do we have anyone who can do sermons? Peter, you do sermons, right? Let's get together every night. We'll call it a revival. And uh, we'll sing. Does anyone play any instruments? Right? You guys can be like a band, sweet. Right? So the first thing they do is gather. And they had like an upper room where everyone would fit. And there's actually, God blesses them. With a massive persecution, where Saul, who kind of becomes one of the ends up becoming a Christian and and a leader in the very early church, Saul actually decides, I'm gonna start killing the Christians. And so they think maybe we shouldn't all meet in the same room, and they all start spreading out and doing what Jesus told them to do in the first place. It's kind of a funny thing. That sometimes we go through things that are really difficult, and it's actually God helping us to do the thing that we should have done in the first place. Sometimes the difficulties in our life are not always definitely not always but sometimes they're god's way of pushing us into what he has for us next so you will receive power when you go and do these things they want to receive the power and stay here that's not the way this works power moves out but then they get into complicated situations because you say this to me pastor james you said go all over tell people about jesus now at my work i'm having a conversation with a guy who I'm not even sure what he believes, I'm not even sure what's going on, and he wants to become a Christian, but he smokes, and he drinks, and he swears, and I'm nervous that when he prays, he's going to (laughs) swear. Right? (laughs) And you're not sure what to do with all these things. Guess what happened to the very early church? They were just, like, it was all Jewish people, and then they went out and started telling Gentiles, and then Gentiles started following Jesus. And if early Christianity was just a sect of Judaism, then what do we do with these non-Jews? Do they have to become Jewish in order to become Christian? Like, is that the progression? Because so far, everyone who's a Christian was a Jew first. And so the church, actually, this is Acts chapter 15, actually has this huge meeting where all the leaders come back, very, very, like, catholic Vatican City kind of thing. They all come back, they sit in this room, and they start telling stories. I was in this town, and I told people about Jesus, And all these people started becoming Christians. And not just like saying the words, like they had evidence of the Holy Spirit operating in their life, like they were full of God. And I was in this town, and this happened. And these people weren't Jews. And now what do I do? And then they hear, well, there's some people going around making them all start to become Jewish. So they have to observe a Saturday Sabbath. They have to eat kosher food. All the men have to be circumcised if you want to be a Christian. So there's this weird development that happens in there where they're like, how Christian do you have to be to be Christian? And they get together, and the the earliest leader of the church in the city of Jerusalem was this guy, James. And James stands up and gives a speech that kind of closes it all together and makes a suggestion, and then we actually have the letter that they sent out to the Gentile believers in Acts uh, chapter 15. With them, the men who took the letter, uh, because there's no mail system, they said this. This is who it's from, the apostles and elders, your brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Sicilia. Greetings. We have heard that someone out from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. So we all agreed and chose some men to send them with you, uh, to you with our dear friends, Barnabas and Paul, uh, who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we're sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word what we are writing. So you know this isn't written by someone else. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. This is the first instance that we have of the church saying, hey, this is what we should do. Now we have all sorts of stuff, right? Like if you come with your kids, you should check them in. You need to get a sticker. And if your kid is young, you need to get a beeper, <laughs> right? Like, and you need to park in a certain spot. And you need to be here by a certain time. And by a certain time, I mean 1020. <laughs> there's, there's this dynamic where now what it means to be a Christian, but we, it goes beyond that to where I've had people say to me, how can you be a Christian? and not be a part of this political party or that political party? How can you do this or that thing? If you're a Christian, you have to dress this way, think this way, talk this way, go to these places, support these businesses. Whereas the first list is, don't eat food sacrificed to idols, which is equivalent for us to, um, it's kind of, meat would be sacrificed to an idol and sold for cheaper than the meat that wasn't sacrificed to an idol. But some people thought that meat was now unclean because it was sacrificed to an idol. But other people said, well, those idols are fake gods that aren't real, so how can it be unclean because it was sacrificed to an imaginary god? So they said, uh, let's just avoid that. Uh, don't drink blood. Everyone was like, yeah, all right. <laughs> it's true. Don't eat the meat of strangled animals, Okay. So we're gonna we're gonna be nicer to animals and kill them quickly and then eat them. There's I think there's something there. And from sexual immorality, which the first three are kind of, they kind of follow each other, right? Meat, blood, more meat, and sexual immorality. Y'all gotta stop that. <laughs> right? It's kind of like this thing they tacked on where they're like, um, so here's what I need you to do, this, this. And then there's kind of like the the actual hammer in the back, right? So when you're an employee evaluation, you're like, I need you to, you know. Put the pens back and uh, clean up the supply closet and stop punching your coworkers. <laughs> Right? Like It's this extra thing where you're like, whoa, okay, that's, that's a thing right there. <laughs> so we're going to do this, this, and this and avoid sexual immorality. You'll do well to avoid these things. Farewell. So what do you do with your interactions with people on Sabbath day? Because on Sabbath day, all the Jewish believers wouldn't do anything. They'd only eat food they prepared the day before. So if you're a Gentile person that was inviting Jews over to your house on Saturday to hang out, maybe watch a game together or whatever, a Roman Colosseum thing together, are you allowed to cook in front of them because that's super offensive to them? Because they, as Christians, behave this way, and we, as Christians, behave that way. And the disciples, in their first letter, says, eh, you'll probably figure that out. That probably doesn't matter. You'll get it. Notice also that none of these things are like this list is not a full reversion to uh, the Old Testament. They could have said you would do well to follow all the laws of the Old Testament. There we go. But they don't. And so they set up the church, the first leaders set up the church to be a forward-facing organization, a forward-facing movement that's doing its best to express what it is to be a Christian in the places that God is moving and in the people that God is moving at the time that God is doing it. We sometimes have the, like there are Christians who think if we can just get back, if we can just get back to the way it was in like the 1950s or 1960s when everyone went to church and and people were a little more respectful And and there was this, we want to get back to that kind of feeling. Then there's others that want to, we want to get back to uh, the New Testament. I want to get back to like an Acts chapter 2 church, where we all get together in one room, and people sing, and there's a lot of powerful worship, and we're all praying together. I want to get back to that. Or I want to get back to the, the Garden of Eden, when God interacted with people, and they just all hung out, and it was all awesome. This get-back feeling is actually not a Christian feeling. But you can't be a part of the movement of Jesus and always be trying to go backwards because the movement of Jesus was set up and established as moving forwards. If we're to look at the way this structure is, if you're desiring to move backwards, and let me say this too, I'm not saying the things in the 50s were bad, right? Because then I have to say the things in the 90s were bad and they were awesome, all right? Like music peaked. When you were in high school, though, didn't music peak? Like the songs from when you were in high school are still the best song. This trash today, I don't even know what's going on. It's not the music, it's us. (laughs) But the desire to move back is a natural desire because there were things in our youth that were awesome and our experience of them were awesome. But if we're constantly trying to move back, then we're not experiencing what is awesome today, and what is awesome tomorrow, and what will be awesome in the future. And the church's job isn't to get culture to move in a reverse, but to express Jesus in the place, and in the time, and in the cultural context that you're in. And so, if you're a person who's like, we know what we need, we need a church that does things the way they did it in 1910 or in 1760 or in the year 324, then you're moving backwards and trying to minister to people who are all gone. People who don't exist, because now all the people that exist are 2020 people. And so, the job of the church, if we're to tell the whole world about Jesus, is to tell all the 2020 people about Jesus. To figure out how the 2020 people hear and communicate and what are the things that we can say to them and so there's this forward push that happens in christianity which is very exciting for a person like me i love the future i'm obsessed with the future i'm always moving forward like in my life like if there was a time machine i would go forwards more not backwards i know what happened back then it wasn't that great right like If you go back pre-plumbing, not good, all right? Like pre-electricity, let's say pre-high-speed wireless internet, it wasn't good, right? Like it was all bad. If mom picked up the phone, your whole thing went bad, right? (laughs) Only people like my age and older get that. (laughs) But when we're thinking about moving forward, the scary part is when they write this letter, do you see what they said in the letter? They said, it seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us. And then they give him these rules they don't say god spoke they don't say this is god's will they use the words but seems like this might be the way and these are people who actually knew jesus like face to face like had interactions with jesus saw him die saw him rise again like these are the apostles these are the elders of the church who knew jesus at anything that's one step one generation away from jesus Like one association, not a generation, one association away from Jesus. And the best they can come up with is like, it seems like to reach people in the year 35, uh, you should do this. Like, that's the best you can offer me? And so it's hard for me when someone says an announcement, all Christians, this. If it's not something that's obvious in the Bible. Like, let's say this, the Bible doesn't say what political party you should vote in any country. There's a lot of political parties in different countries, and the Bible's true in every single country, so this isn't about this country. So if you're in a particular country, the Bible doesn't say you should definitely vote this way, yet you're given this privilege and responsibility of voting in some countries, not all. And then what do you do with it? Well, it seems like maybe this. So if someone comes with such confidence that says, all Christians this which in some cases is true like if one person is like uh, like uh, if you have a genuine evil defined by the Bible person who maybe don't vote for them right like if, a per- if Satan is running don't vote for them <laughs> and let me say none of your candidates are Satan I know that's uh, that's something we like to say uh, but it, but they're not all right Satan is way worse that and and think about how much you think about the other candidate. Satan is way worse Oh man, I hate, I'm gonna, okay, just write me an email about it. (sighs) If you're in a situation that's not obvious in the scripture, and there are obvious things in the scripture, we are to act in love. We are to be an open people. We are to invite in the strangers. We are to be reaching out. We are to be full of love, not full of hate. Those are obvious things in the scripture. But how does a Christian interact with Sports. How does a Christian interact with the public education system? How does the Christian interact with, uh, in the arts, people who are gifted in the arts? That how do you live in that world when there's no clear examples of people in the Bible, in the New Testament at least, that lived in that world? There is in the Old Testament, a major one. But in the New Testament, we don't have uh, an actor who becomes a Christian. So how do you do that? And all that God is willing to offer you is the Holy Spirit will convict you to the point where it seems like you should do this. So when you have this declaration of God says, therefore I must, you have a, a tighter relationship with God than the people who knew him when he walked on earth. The people who knew him who when he walked on earth were comfortable with, I'm not sure if this is right, but it seems like this might be the thing we should do. And God blesses that in a way that has, you would not believe. And so the, let me say this. this is Catch this. The level of conviction that you're required to have in order to please God is, this seems right. This seems right. It appears that God himself is wildly comfortable with your ambiguity, with your lack of comfort, with your confusion over how you ought to act in this world. This is why it's fantastic that there are different kinds of churches in this city. There are churches that dress nice, churches that don't. Churches that sing loud, churches that sing quiet. Churches that don't sing with instruments, churches that turn it up to 11. There are churches that show up on time. (laughs) There are lots of churches where they do not, (laughs) But there is this diversity, and that diversity isn't a sign of division. It's a sign of, well, it seems like maybe this is what God wants us to do. And it isn't, oh, this is what God wants everyone to do, or this is the right way, and that's the wrong way. It really is a group of people getting in a room, praying together and saying, I think we should follow God, and I think that we should follow God like this, and this is what that should look like. And are we daring enough to not retreat to the safety of the past, where we we now know the answers for the past, but in the past they did not know the answers at the time? Or we would take responsibility for the present. Will we would take responsibility for all of the twenty twenty people that you know, in praying for them, in living? As a Christian before them being a witness to them and I don't know what that looks like in your job or in your family I barely know what that looks like in my job and I'm a pastor for crying out loud and in my family and in my relationships and so as we follow God together it'll seem like we're following him and it'll seem like someone else is doing something different it seem like I'm doing this over here. And it doesn't mean we don't have a discussion like, hey, why are you doing that? Like the early church had large councils where they had these meetings over, hey, what should we do in this situation? What should we do in this situation? It doesn't mean we don't criticize. It doesn't mean we don't sharpen each other and help each other be better. But we certainly never condemn. We certainly never tear someone else down in order to build ourselves up because we have this responsibility to be loyal to the story. We don't get to take the first four acts and then in the fifth act, the church suddenly goes, wow, way over here. We read through and we know the scripture so well that we can walk forwards living out the natural next steps that the Bible has. This is heresy. We're kind of living out A new new testament every day every relationship every year we're writing out the story of god as he tells it among our people it's a little bit heresy because it's not actual bible (laughs) but it's a little bit true too let's pray uh let's stand and i'll pray for us lord god our savior i want to thank you for creating i want to thank you for not bailing on us when we fell I want to thank you for wrestling with us. I want to thank you for always winning for Jesus and for the insane level of trust that you have in us. And so, God, I pray you would make us increasingly dependent on you because you trust us to be your witness in this time and in this place. I pray for every person here that you would give them a conviction at the level of feeling and knowing in their heart and in their soul, that you are walking with them and that you don't leave us alone, no matter how close or far we feel from you, but you walk beside us in every situation, helping us know that our love for you is overwhelming the confusion or the lack of certainty that we might have in a particular situation. May your Holy Spirit fill us. May your word guide us and lead us because of your love towards us as it reflects to all people in all places right now. By your name we pray. Amen.